High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, loners, social outcasts, and those who just don't feel like they fit in. You know who's not welcome this week? Bullies. Because this is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Right off the bat, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button to wherever you're listening to High School Slumber Party today, whether that be Apple Podcasts, whether that be Stitcher, whether that be Google Play or Spotify, and remember that you could always listen to us on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And there's a ton of other great podcasts on the Cage Club Podcast Network that you can find there. Some other ways to help High School Slumber Party? Give us a little five-star rating. Write us a nice and positive review. And, of course, the best way you can spread the love that we share here every week on High School Slumber Party is by telling a good friend about this show. Maybe a friend who's into nostalgia or these high school films or just, I don't know, enjoys good old-fashioned and, I have to mention, free entertainment. Now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about your other homework assignments. First, did you listen to last week's episode on Brick? Wow, I did not realize how polarizing of a film that is. A lot of you did not like Brick. I have to say the majority of people love Brick, and they like talking about it. But you either really love Brick, and if you don't, it seems like you hate Brick. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it and let me know what you think, because I'm so curious about it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed our guest, Matt Delhauer, as well. I hope to have him on again And our guest this week is someone who I love, one of my favorite guests of all time. Can't wait for you guys to hear today's episode, because we have a ton of fun. It's Kate Hudson, and the movie today is Angus. Now, I'm loving the social media feedback on Angus as well. Just a reminder, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. You can always comment. Class participation is a very important part of your grade. And I love when I read your comments. And this is a film that, honestly, I hadn't really heard of. And it's the first time I'm watching for for this uh, podcast today. And, wow, you guys who remember it and you guys who've seen it, like, you're making your voices known that you really, really like this film. 
which is awesome. And apparently it wasn't streaming for a while, so I get that maybe some of you aren't familiar. But if it's streaming, please watch it if you haven't already. That was your homework assignment. And trust me, this is going to be a kick-ass episode. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know the drill by now. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. So something we talk about on this episode a lot is the soundtrack to Angus, and it is so awesome, trust me, especially if you're into this particular kind of music, and even if you're not, you're going to be like, wow, I know everyone on this soundtrack, and it was a big deal at the time. But I'm not going to spoil the episode, of course not. But what I will give you is a song from that soundtrack, maybe one you're familiar with, J-A-R by... Green Day. Have you heard of these Green Days? I think you have. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. Kate, always great having you on. It's always a pleasure. I think we always have a good time. <laughs> Hopefully it continues today. Who knows? We might be <laughs> just completely at odds about this film. I don't think so, but... <laughs> no, this is this is the time we come to blows. This is, this is going to be our schism, <laughs> my friend. So, how you been? What's the world of Kate Hudson been like? It's It's been good. I, what, I, what was I on here? Early summer? Midsummer? Um, around that time, it goes so fast. I can't believe it's almost. I know. Like, you know, like the year's almost over. So seriously, no. Well, it's my birthday this week too, so I'm like definitely <laughs> feeling my mortality. Like, I'm like crap. Uh, that special <laughs> time of the year. It is. I always freak out about it. It's like, oh god, especially with this birth. I'm gonna be 35, so I can no longer like fudge that I'm in my like early 30s. I'm solidly in my mid 30s now. <laughs> that is true. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. Oh man. <laughs> but I've been I've been good sort of. How about you? Oh, I've been great. I was trying to see when you were on and looking at my list. I know it was for just one of the guys, but it has to be the summer. I think it was like either June or July. Yeah, feels like it. Feels like it. It, it was a yeah. you know, different vibe, but alas, we are here. Towards the end of the year, 
you, you're a little bit older. Hopefully we're all a little bit wiser. Yeah. Well, I mean, it beats the alternative. That's why I have to remind myself each year. <laughs> that is true. Right? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> what happens if I don't age? That'd be worse. <laughs> well, uh, today's film, um, it's something, you know, I, I don't know how we came up with it or whatever, but it was one of these things where I hadn't seen it. It's oh, Ang- really? Yes, it's Angus from 1995. <gasps> yes. And, you know, your friends at Rotten Tomatoes, at least the critics, did not give this very high score. But I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Wait, it didn't do well with the dorks at Rotten Tomatoes? Really? <laughs> no, it didn't. Like, I'm surprised. <laughs> wait, so wait, so were those contemporary reviews or were those like dorks like, I'm going to shit on a movie from 1995 and it's 2017 type of thing? Let's see. Um... 2000, 2003. That's a random time. Yeah, that's a random time to be. (laughs) There's not a lot of scores, to be honest with you. It it was not a well-known movie, to be honest. Like, it was in the theaters, I think. By the time I realized that it was out, it was done already. (laughs) Uh, It's it's funny you mentioned that. Um, It was in the theaters at such a busy time I was reading about. Let's see. So it opened against Hackers, a film we've done on this show. Great movie. Yes, very great movie. Clockers. <laughs> In the theater as well was Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything. Julie Newmar. Excellent. Sorry. Yes, Excellent I love movie. that movie too. Dangerous Minds, another high school film. Oh. <laughs> the Usual Suspects. Well, okay, but to, to be fair, to jump in, I don't think there's a lot of overlap between people who'd want to see Angus in the theater and people <laughs> who would go see the, the Usual Suspects in the theater. And maybe not for this next film, Braveheart. <laughs> but all, <laughs> all these films are in the theater at the same time. And, and I definitely agree with you because even, even though uh, on this list, Hackers and Dangerous Minds are both high school films, they are very different films to Angus. Oh, God, yeah. But Dangerous, <laughs> and Dangerous Minds is R-rated, too. Yeah. Like, do, you, do you know what sucks about this list is that I was just thinking in the back of my mind, okay, well, what's at the theaters now? And there's like nothing. We get like maybe one movie a week now. No, it's so true. You're right, because every movie here, there, there isn't one where maybe Clockers I'm not terribly familiar with. But No, me neither. But... Let's see. It's a Spike Lee film. I, I probably oh, I probably read it on a Spike Lee list or something. I don't know. That's the bank robber one where the guy has the skull mask. Is it? Oh. I, I'm pretty sure because I get that one confused with sneakers. Oh yes, and then, yes. <laughs> and then whichever we and then whichever one River Phoenix was in was he in? Sne- there's like sneakers, clockers, and there's one other one. Let me see. River Phoenix. And like Robert Redford, was he in Sneakers? I know exactly what you're talking about. That has to be Sneakers. Yes, Sneakers, Robert Redford, River Phoenix. Okay, and then clo- look, so look up Clockers. It's going to be the dude holding the gun with like the skull mask. Uh, Clockers. It has just, I don't know, some weird cartoony. Then which one is the one with the guy, the bank robber? Is that the bank robber one? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Clockers There's, has I- John Turturro, um... Harvey Keitel, and it looks like Mackay Pfeiffer. I could that's not, that's not the one I'm... There's another movie that's, like, in this, like... Uh, yeah, the 90s, we were not that creative with naming movies, were we? Guys out there, High School Slumber Party audience, I doubt you know, but if you know what movie Kate's talking about, please let us know. Um, please! Please! So, yeah, it was up against a lot of things, but not necessarily things in the genre, Um and again, we'll dive into it and we'll talk about this film. Another criticism of the film, though, in terms of crowdedness, 
was a, a lot of people saying that year a lot of movies about fat teenagers came out. Um, Which other ones? Heavyweights and a film called Heavy. I remember Heavy. I rem- I didn't see Heavyweights, but isn't Heavy R-rated? Looks like it. <laughs> Just from the poster. Shelley Winters, That's- Liv Tyler, Deborah Harry. Whoa. <laughs> Debbie Harry? Apparently. God. I got to check this one out, too. I feel like I saw that. So I grew up in Alaska, so I watched a lot of movies growing up. So I feel like I've seen a lot of these. <laughs> that certainly helps in your current uh, pajiba writing. Right? Nest. Which is funny. <laughs> so nobody really knows about Angus, but the owner of the site, Dustin, is a massive fan of this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, so like you, so for a while you couldn't watch Angus. Like it was what? not on. Yeah, dude, it wasn't on streaming. <laughs> it wasn't on DVD. Like you could only track down old VHS copies. And I think Dustin wrote a post well before I started writing for Pajiba, basically about how like Angus is one of the greatest movies of all time, and why can't you find it on streaming? So he and I have this in common. Wow, that's a very cool. And B, isn't it so weird when that happens? Like a movie, not like made in Nosferatu times, like made in our lifetime that's yes. for some reason not streaming. You'd expect someone to stream it. Or to get it on DVD. Like, do you know how long I've been waiting for Near Dark to come back on some capacity? I haven't seen that movie in like 10 years and I want to watch it. And, and there are like a good handful of films like that. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I mean, it goes, I guess, a little bit to my procrastination sometimes, but occasionally in either doing this show, but more doing my old show, uh, P.S. I Love Hoffman, where we talked about Philip Smurr Hoffman's <laughs> films. There was so many films, like, three, I don't want to say so many, three or four, that I was just like, oh, I'm recording tomorrow. I'll just watch it today on a streaming service. And then it's like, yeah, you need to order this VHS. Oh, <laughs> you got boned. You got boned. Yeah. And it's like a shitty feeling. It, it It's also a yeah. shitty feeling to think like that, that like we're so spoiled that we need... Oh, we're so- <laughs> totally totally it's well it's like i tried to watch all the nicholas cage movies in order this year because i apparently don't like myself and <laughs> like i i like i'm still hung up on the cotton club i can't find a legal like way to watch the cotton club hmm that's weird right, like, <laughs> right? it's francis ford coppola yeah you should be able to get it that is like, weird Right? So when I finally saw that Angus is available to stream, I was like, oh my god, this movie, which I haven't seen in like 20 years, that I'd listened to the soundtrack religiously to this day, I was like, oh, it's available. Great! And, yeah, I mean, the soundtrack is amazing. and It's so good. <laughs> if you guys don't know, out there aren't familiar with Angus, like a lot of people apparently, <laughs> um, you know, you can stream it places now. You can stream it almost everywhere now, so mm-hmm. you should have done that. You're lucky. But, yeah, if, but if not, lucky. every week I read the back of the VHS cover, and I, I don't have the VHS, but I tracked a picture of it online, so here goes. He doesn't fit in. He never gives up. He's something else. Angus is a whiz at science, a terror on the football field, and totally lost. To embarrass him, Angus's archenemy rigs the voting to get him elected king of the winter ball. Angus has to choose between completing his science project and the queen of the ball. With... <laughs> It's this oversimplifies so much. <laughs> with, I know, right? <laughs> with help from his geeky but faithful friend Troy and his grandfather, Angus tackles the toughest decisions of his life. From the producer of Cool Runnings, <laughs> which, <laughs> <laughs> with with an incredible soundtrack featuring Green Day and Weezer, Angus mm-hmm. is a fun and inspiring look on how to be a teenager. Again, oversimplified, and in an effort to just. <laughs> <laughs> 
enjoy the conversation about Angus. I forgot one of the most important parts about High School Slumber Party, your introduction, Kate. So if, if you recall, you have to say your, your name, your high school, graduating class optional, because again, we're not ageist, and your high school <laughs> team name, if you remember. Of course I remember. <laughs> okay. My name is Kate Hudson. I am the graduating class of 2002 of the East Anchorage High School, and our mascot was the Thunderbirds. Go T-Birds. Go T-Birds. <laughs> Wait, right? was, that, was that really what you said after Go T-Birds? Our, our, our chant was T-Birds, because, okay, keep in mind, this was the early 2000s. T-Birds, is, oh, God, I think it was like T-Birds let the dogs out hoot. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure. The other day, I was thinking, like, is it now okay to, like, is that funny? Like, who let the dogs out? Or is it still, are people still sick of it? Like, if someone makes a who let the dogs out reference, is it like, ha ha, I remember that? Or is it like, oh, shut up? Because I feel like people are still sick of who let the dogs out, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, because it's kind of funny now to me, but I thought it was funny then. Because I think, <laughs> like, I think things are funny when other people get irritated. I mean, I, that's kind of why I thought about it, because something happened, and I was like, oh, let me make a who let the dogs out joke. And then I was like, wait, I don't know how this is going to be received. So I stopped myself. Never stop yourself for trying to make a who let the dogs out reference. <laughs> the, ba- the Baja men are eternal, my friend. <laughs> I got to remember that. I'm going to take your advice on that one. So- Shit. <laughs> So, uh, not on this soundtrack was the Baja Men, but plenty of other, <laughs> plenty of other great, great musicians. Um, I want to talk about that first because when we were, you know, talking off air before I saw the film, you mentioned that the soundtrack was good. I'm like, oh, that, that's cool. And then, you know, this is like an all-time soundtrack. Yeah, it's a defining trait of this movie. Like the soundtrack <laughs> is fantastic. Um, I- I'm not sure why. I, I read that maybe. One of one of the producers was also a manager for Green Day, like because you have to know somebody to get all these musicians to agree to this on a movie that had a budget of like one point five million or something like that. Well, so I'm gonna put on my door tap for a second. Nice. So I was super into Green Day in 1995 when this movie <laughs> came out. Like you guys do not understand that was my first <laughs> love, right? So I can tell you definitively that almost all of these bands were on two just two record labels mm. at the time and both were green day related they were on reprise so green day the muffs ash were all on reprise i'm pretty sure about ash and then the other ones were on lookout records which green day also came off of like the riverdales were on lookout pansy division i think weezer was on maverick which was um owned by warner and warner owned reprise so it all sort of fit under Mm. the same umbrella now i could be completely wrong but i know for a fact the muffs and green day were both on the same record reprise and i know the riverdales were on lookout records which was green day's initial record label before they came to reprise so wow you should you should have a green day podcast i have forgotten more than most people ever know about this (laughs) seriously they were like when I first heard them in 1994, because again, I'm 35 almost, that was a life-changing experience for me. I love that band. Yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, this is when Green Day was Green Day, too. Like, like the thing about Green Day is they always appeal to 10-year-olds, and like, you're, like, <laughs> and like seriously. So and, like, true. Right? So, like, we just age up and out of their, like, I'm sure they're still Green Day to 10-year-olds, but I haven't <laughs> been 10 in 25 years. <laughs> 
I mean, that's a really good point. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, like, I knew about Ingus through the soundtrack. In oh. fact, I think I, yeah, like, I'm 95% sure. So, J.A.R., mm-hmm. the Green Day song on the album, was written by my favorite like band member Mike Durnt and Mike didn't write a lot of songs. So that was my favorite Green Day song. And it still kind of is. So that was a leading single. So I knew about Angus through the radio because back then we listened to the radio. <laughs> like they'd be like, oh, it's a new Green Day song on this new album for a movie called Angus. So like that's that's how I know about this movie and love this movie because of the soundtrack. I mean, you make an interesting point because like, yeah, obviously movies have soundtracks today, but they're not effective in that sense where, I mean, rarely, like, I I don't know why this is coming to mind. There was that song for like Fifty Shades of Grey that was on the radio a lot. Like, um, I, and then I'm not counting musicals and stuff or like that, like Lady yeah. Gaga, Bradley Cooper thing, because that's, you know, built in with within itself. But, you know, it was a strategy for many, many years. Like, let's make a killer soundtrack. Let's get these songs on the radio. And that's how people are going to see this movie. And vice versa. 100%. Yeah, it's free advertising, for sure. Which, you know, those are great times. Those are simpler times. I miss it. I do. I feel like an old lady. It's like, God, the the 90s were so uncomplicated for a lot of, I guess, because I was a kid, they were uncomplicated. I mean, yeah, that's a big reason, I am sure. And, I mean, I have that feeling, too. But then, you know, you watch, like, stuff from the 90s and like WTO protests in Seattle and people like beating each other up and and like it's like oh yeah maybe it wasn't but it certainly feels that that way that was the late 90s though the late 90s sucked the late 90s were basically (laughs) like early 2000s fair you know what I mean but but yeah no I remember Waco I remember the Oklahoma City bombings I remember all of those things but they're just sort of I don't know, washed. I think it's because we didn't have the internet as much. It was mm. just like this new thing, like to look at Green Day pictures on, not to, <laughs> you know, spread Nazi propaganda now, like we have in 2019. Oh, man. Um, it, this is definitely, I don't know if this soundtrack is like, I mean, is it available like to download as a soundtrack or like listen to stream, I should say. Sorry, I'm dating myself. Like, can most you stream of the, it? For the most part, I think you still can. I think there's, so I know that the Love Spit Love version of Am I Wrong with the marching band is kind of hard to find now, mm. but I think most of it's still available. Like, the thing is, is most of those bands are still active, too. That's what I was going to mention as well. Um, as crazy as it is, like, whoever set up the soundtrack really had an eye for their music because all these bands either were like somewhat famous at the time or subsequently got more famous not because of this soundtrack but just like there's almost every band here has somewhat of a decent following even today oh yeah yeah like the only one the riverdales broke up but all those guys are still active because that was this that was a screeching weasel side project Mm. um oh yeah no dude i know my this is like my stuff (laughs) Weezer's still out there. Green Day's still out there. The Dancehall Crashers broke up, like, in, like, the later 90s, but they still do revival stuff. And, like, this is this is going to be sad. So the lead singer of the Muffs just died, like, a oh. week or two ago. Wow. Rest in peace. Yeah. Topical. Kim. Yeah, she died of ALS in her sleep. Oh, but, no. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. Way to bring but, the podcast down. Oh, but, but. But she knew she was dying, so they created one last album. The Muffs have a new album that came out in October of 2019. Wow, that's cool. See, even yeah. even this podcast is promoting the music of Angus. Dude, and Pansy Division still tours, and every time they come to town, I go see them. Which is very cool, but is the Goo Goo Dolls are on this soundtrack as I'm reading yeah. this now? 
And they played the Alaska State Fair last year, and that's always a big deal for people in Alaska who go to the State Fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> right. The, like, the only band I don't know a lot about is Ash. I don't know if they're still touring or not. Hmm. They're like this Irish punk band. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm sure we could find out. Whoa. Sorry. I'm So, in the, in the most hipster thing I do, I collect vinyl soundtracks, but I pretty much don't really collect many 90s ones because they're not... They don't really re-release 90s or, ha- you know, it was just CD and tapes. But uh-huh. apparently Angus is on vinyl as well as get audio it. CD. Get it. Get it. Get it. I'm tempted. How much is that? Like 30 No. Uh, $23.98 on Prime. That is not bad. Oh, my God. Get it. Get <laughs> I it. Will, I will be getting it. I'll take a picture oh, when I get it because that is Please awesome. Please do. I mean, it's, it's a great soundtrack. It really is because it's like the thing about soundtracks now is like maybe you'll have that Pitbull Ocean to Ocean song like in um, <laughs> Aquaman, which I absolutely love because it's so dumb. But like this was like the 90s was the heyday of like curated mixtape soundtracks, like specially formulated. You know what I mean? And it really was like the mixtape era. Like, yeah, I sure in my childhood bedroom, if they left my belongings there, I'm sure I have a. a <laughs> bin of just like cdrs that i made freaking stupid mixtapes on it's like ooh, or, or even like you know cassettes and stuff like oh here are like 12 songs on this awesome okay now i have to ask how old are you because you called a cdr a mixtape and i'm a purist i think it has to be a physical cassette tape no okay, fair fair but i did both i am 32 so i'm not that far off from you it's but you know what's funny those three years that's such a no like it's not like a maturity thing because that's obnoxious but it's like no a technology thing because you start making mixtapes when you're about 11 right so i was 11 in shoot 1996 and then by 2000 it was so easy to rip cds that everybody did cds yeah you know the technology did move fast then i don't know when i switched i definitely switched Oh, I switched about 1999-2000 when we got a CDR that could rip because tapes were painted. Like, we, we romanticize it now, but tapes were a massive pain in the ass. <laughs> I, I feel like places like Urban Outfitters are really trying to make them happen again, and I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, there's something beautiful about a mixtape because they, they come with that blank sleeve and you'd always get a personalized note. It just wasn't the same, like, with a CD sleeve, you know what I mean? And, like, you'd have to rewind and it was just so perfectly timed. Like, a CDR, it could be 60 minutes. But, like, a true mixtape artist, they'd know exactly which side went on what and it'd be, like, a whole, like, mood, like, vision mm. board, if you will. You know what I mean? I guess I so, never thought about that part of, like, the sides, right? Yeah. Huh. There was so much thought went into A side and B side in a mixtape. I'm not even kidding. Like I put that level of thought into them, and I know other people put more. So to me, a mixtape has to be a cassette tape. And then you have those mixed CDs, and I guess kid kids these days have playlists now. But it's, it's oh yeah, not, that's true. <laughs> it, it's not the same because with a tape, you had 60 minutes and you had to make it perfect, and it had to tell a story with a natural stopping point in the middle. That is great. That is that is beautiful. Like, not thinking about that? <laughs> huh. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, the finite amount of time matters and, and like, that middle stoppage. You, you know, you could yeah. you could pivot to a different theme if you want. Oh, that's cool. Exactly. <laughs> and then sometimes you'd fill up that space with, like, little voice memos to the person you were making the mixtape for. Typically oh, wow. at the end. Yeah, because you had to make it – you had to go to the end of one side to start at the beginning of the next side. So there was – I don't know. I just thought it took more effort and sometimes effort doesn't mean better, but I think in a mixtape, it's just, 
it was inherently better than a mixed CD. Now, who were you making mixtapes for? Oh, God, everybody. <laughs> I was a kid who grew up on a mountain in Alaska. Like, <laughs> believe me. Ooh, that, like, the I the bears? Not... I don't know. <laughs> like, my friends. Like, the guy um, at the gas station? Like. <laughs> The guy at the record store, for sure. <laughs> My problem was, is I was an 11-year-old who looked like she was 16 because I'm so tall. I'm 5'10", and I was, I've been this height. It was, it's, we're going down a different road now, but, like, yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> oh, man. You know, those were good times because if you do – if you can't give someone a playlist now, you can be like, check no. out my playlist, but it's not like – there's no effort in that. Right? <laughs> like, there's no personalization. And the thing about – so, like, a mixed CD, you can rip for five different people the same CD, right? You can't do that for a mixtape. I mean, mm. you could – right? Like, if you were, like, one of those rich kids, you had the, like <laughs> – I don't even know how that, that would work. You'd rip, you'd make a master mixtape and then transfer it to another. Yeah, tape. I guess, and you just keep doing it. But you know, it's, it wasn't a tedious process. Exactly, like it, you're forced to personalize the mixtape like process for somebody. I bet you. I'm romantic. Sorry. I bet, you, no, I bet you there's someone in like their 50s or 60s listening to this. Like, oh, I couldn't make a mixtape. I just had to write music and record an album for people. <laughs> <laughs> and that person's name is Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um so no, you're right though. Like the, I don't know. It it probably is the best part of this film. That's not saying the other parts are terrible or anything like that, but I mean there are a lot of things that break tropes. There's a lot of tropey things in the film, but while oh, yeah. you, while you're watching all this like through the background, you're like, "Wow, this is a good song." You know, it's um, it's, it's a yeah. And like one more thing on the soundtrack, because this is seriously like I still listen to the soundtrack to this day, and I basically have all the songs still memorized. <laughs> is that it's a gateway drug, right? Because this is the mid '90s, the heyday of alternative music, like the heyday, and you've got these bands like Riverdale and Pansy Division, which are like they're a queer punk rock band that mm-hmm. talk about like their song "Deep Water" is about a teenage boy coming to terms with his sexuality wow. and like right like this is like deep like 90s like repressed homophobia time so it's what i love about this soundtrack in particular and just like soundtracks in general at that time is that you got to be introduced to a lot of bands you may not have necessarily heard about you know like pansy division deep water was never going to get played on the top 40 radio in anchorage mm-hmm. alaska <laughs> but like i got to listen to it because of this soundtrack because Green Day was kind of a gateway drug. That's awesome. I wonder the kids today what like Green Day leads them to. Like, I don't know. I still love Green Day. I haven't really listened to their new stuff. I I wonder if they're still that gateway drug. But I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, and like the thing is too, it's like and this granted, maybe it's just that I'm like rapidly marching towards middle age now. <laughs> Come but, on. Like, but it's like when you're 10 and 11, you're discovering things for the first time and you're figuring out your taste for the first time. Like, you know, I can joke about my age, but my, my taste has been pretty settled now for a while. Like, I know what I like. I know, like, sort of like, okay, this is in this genre. I know I'm going to enjoy it. But like, it's such a sense of discovery at 10 or 11 to find these bands that, you know, you had to actively look for and you couldn't just go online to listen to their music. I talk a lot on Pajiba actually about imagining what music would have sounded like before I could actually listen to it because you hear of these bands, but you have no idea what they're going to sound like. And then there's a lag, you know, you don't have that instant gratification anymore of going online, downloading a song, hearing it, or even asking Siri to play it. <laughs> um, 
You know, like you have to wait. You had to special order a CD. It would take three to six weeks and all that time, the anticipation's building in your mind. And it's like you, you don't have that anymore. I feel like music is much more disposable and not because of the music that is out there, but just about the way we consume it and get it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really, really good point. Because if I want to hear something, I can just hear it right now. And within, you know, 10 seconds, probably make a decision in my head if I like it or not. Like back then, you you, you know, you, you had an idea, again, from the similar bands or, or from a previous yeah. album. But how weird was it when you got like a band you liked next album and it sounded completely different than the album before, for better or worse? Like that was a oh, yeah. fun experience. <laughs> Right. But you couldn't just like click skip to the next one too. Like kind of going off on a tangent, but I remember when Weezer's Pinkerton came out like September, 1996, like it was a big deal. Like I got it opening day and then I dropped the CD on our gravel sidewalks. I couldn't listen to it. Yeah. So I had to go get like return it the second day and get it the second day. But I guess the point is, it's like, it was not loved when we got it. Like, I loved it personally, but it didn't sound anything like the Blue Album. It was a, like a completely different direction. But because it was so anticipated and because we couldn't just go listen to, you know, the millions of other songs online, it started to develop that cult following. And I think a lot of the reason why it developed that cult following was because it was all we had. So you'd listen to it again and again and again, and it grew on you because it was, to me... I always loved it. But to me, it was a matter of like misplaced expectations. And also there was nothing else. So you just grew to love it and grew to appreciate it. And I don't feel that bands or music, like you have that opportunity anymore. Yeah. And I imagine like when you're making an album, like it's closer to that because it's not like, oh, let's just go make something. And then they make a song and that's it. Like they're also hearing and appreciating and playing it for so long. So that, I mean, that's probably the album's original intention not to hear it just once and be like yay you know even though again you said yeah. you liked it at the beginning but uh, fascinating you know i know this is a tangent but i am very you know intrigued <laughs> like it is yeah it's it's just like i just think everything's become more disposable as things are just more accessible to us it's true it's true i mean like just to bring it back to Angus, it, it, that's why it was so weird that you said this film was not available like to stream. Right? <laughs> um, it's just one of these, I don't know. And I don't know why either. I thought there might be something in the film that like was controversial, but I'm not really. Well, I mean, it's controversial to say, you know, fat people have feelings, apparently, because like even to this day, that's still like the one sort of taboo that's still kind of acceptable to make fun of somebody for yeah less so like now than it like five ten years ago but it's still there i mean maybe that's why i didn't uh, agree with like uh, what the critics are saying because i didn't watch all these other fat person films quote unquote that's what i'm reading from you know um that year or anything like that and obviously it wasn't in a crowded theater for me this was a brand new experience for me this film and i found it honestly pretty like a I thought it was going to be a lot more dated than it was. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, it's, first off, the cast is amazing. Wow. Like, I don't know how this, like, little indie sleeper <laughs> movie got such a great cast. Yeah, three Oscar winners. Um, right? Kathy Bates, uh, George C. Scott, and a criminally underused Rita Moreno. So I didn't even know she was in this movie. So I hadn't seen this movie in like 20 years. But I remembered Kathy Bates. I remember George C. Scott. Like, what the hell was Rita Moreno doing there? This is like an EGOT. 
winner here. Like, I don't don't know. I was like, when I saw the uh, credits roll, I'm like, oh, Rita Moreno's in this? And then, (laughs) was she in one scene? Um, Yeah. Like, yeah. A line, maybe? Like She owed a favor to somebody. Somebody called in a favor for that cameo, for sure. Yeah, I guess. But, uh, I mean, again, criminally underused, but I was happy to see her. Like we said, three Oscar winners here. But the lead um, is a guy named Charlie Talbert. It was his first film. He plays Angus. Um, have you Had you ever seen him in anything else? Uh, well, at the time, no, because it was 1995. So I rented this movie as soon as it came out. So at the time, no. Um, I did look him up yesterday when I rewatched this and like he's been in a lot but the thing about guys especially teenage guys are like what they're gonna look like as an adult is never what they look like as a teenager for the most part at least in my mind like you can't tell right so like I saw a picture of him now as an adult and he does not look anything like Angus like at all (laughs) to me oh yeah I'm looking at it now you're right yeah I would never have guessed it Right? But they, so James Vanderbeek is in it. So it's Kevin Connolly. And they look like themselves. <laughs> they do. James Vanderbeek, uh, we talked about Varsity Blues a couple of weeks ago. And it's a very different character from Varsity Blues, but he's still in a blue football uniform, which is kind of confusing. And a, and a huge <laughs> dick in this film. Massive um, little shit. <laughs> like he's abusive. Yes. Like it's crazy. Very much so. Like borderline, like not borderline. I mean, like he clearly has a problem. Like not just like he's yeah. a bully. He clearly has some issue that really needs sorting out. Because I, I mean, it appears sometimes he has yeah. no motive. You know, he's just a sadistic dick who doesn't <laughs> like fat people. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's it. I mean, it's, ma- it's... maybe it's a flaw in the film that he's not like explored much. Um, but. I think it's actually pretty brave not to make him, like, have a shitty home life. Just let him be a... Like, some people are just assholes. It's true. I mean, and... <laughs> he's, like... Again, we see this a lot in high school films, though, and he is that typical asshole. Often they do have blonde hair, and they play on the football team or some kind of sport, so... He played it well. It's, yeah, I, I think it's kind of, I think it's brave to let him just stand as a prick, because... How often do we really get to meet in real life people's motivations for just being sadistic pricks to us? It's true. I mean, like, <laughs> who gives a shit what his motivations were? He was, he was an, like, he was physically abusive to these kids. Yeah. I mean, you have, like, the, the Kevin Connolly character, and he's just, like, his friend and stuff, but, like, and we see that character a lot in high school films, but yeah. <laughs> Dawson was not behaving well here. Like, it's it, it was a tough, like you want him to get punched a lot in this film. Oh yeah. Well, what what was surprising to me is that people just went along with his just dickishness and, until the very end when like the herd snapped out of it. You know. Yeah. I mean, the first one we really kind of see is uh the Melissa girl played by what's her name Ariana Richards, and I recognized yep. her from Jurassic Park. Like oh yeah, that, that was my big thing with her. I thought she was great. I thought this was a well acted film overall, um, except for Angus. Bless him, Angus is not very good. <laughs> okay, so we'll get into that. I mean, we we see we see this a lot, right? Like they set up a supporting cast so well, and they pick a new person, and they they just see how it goes. Um, it's a lot. This this role would be a lot for anyone to play, I think, but for a first timer. I don't know, maybe they chose because, like, the way he looked rather than his acting skills, but 
I think you're right. Like, and I don't want to put Angus down, but that that the one thing that took me out of it the most was Angus at times. He looked exactly like a teenager would look back back then, and probably still today. But and it was less noticeable with the other kid actors. But when you put that guy up next to Kathy Bates and George C. Scott. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think, to be fair, I, I think it'd be hard for any yes, actor of that yes. age to be able to hold their, their their salt with them, but especially an untrained actor to go up against Kathy Bates and George C. Scott. Like, <sighs> she's like, you can't talk. It's not a knock against Charlie Talbot. I'm sure he's a much better actor now that he's mm-hmm. gotten some training under his belt. But he went up against some of the greatest actors of all time. Like, period. The only thing I'll say to that is that, like, in those moments, he kind of reminded me of an actual teenager talking to, oh, like... Oh, God, yeah. Talking to, like, an adult with, like, gravitas. Like, God, you know, like, I can't just, I can't <laughs> do the voice, but, you know, just, like... Like, even in serious moments, just, like, being kind of, you know, the same. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, that, like, yeah, and I think... Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And also, like, this kid was 17, 18 years old. Like, teenage boys don't know – we don't give teenage boys the language to process their emotional depth. So I think that it's hard for somebody of that age, unless they grew up extremely, you know, comfortable with their masculinity and emotions. And basically nobody grew up like that in the 90s anyway. No. That <laughs> it was – he was never going to be able to show that inner life. Because it wasn't accessible to him at the time either. Mm, that's very. Uh, now I know why you have your Rotten Tomatoes uh, <laughs> certification or whatever it is. It was a very like in-depth acting tape. I, I feel like I was at the you know inside the actor's studio or something. Beautiful. I, I I've thought a lot about this movie in the past twenty-four hours. That's all <laughs> I can say. <laughs> I mean, was there anyone else in the cast we didn't mention who... Yes. I, I've been waiting for you to mention if... I, she had a very small part, but did you pick up on who the recycled the recycle girl was and the one who flirted with Troy at the end of the movie? Mm, I don't think so. It was Lindsay Price. Really? Yeah, it was one of her first roles. Oh, you're right. I'm looking at the IMDb now. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, this wasn't a trap. I didn't go in just, like, thinking, oh, this is a Lindsay Price movie. <laughs> when, when I watched it yesterday, I'm like, holy shit, is that Lindsay Price? That is really funny. Wow. The thing about girls, well, women, is that we do, like, you look at us as teenagers and you look at us as, like, adults, and you can you can tell that's the same person. Yeah, I just wasn't thinking about it, you know? <laughs> Because why would you? It's like, <laughs> unless you are Lindsay Price or a Lindsay Price super fan, you're not going to be like, hey, Lindsay Price. <laughs> and so the other one, I forget her name, but the but the lady who played April, the, the much younger bride of the grandpa. Yeah. She was in Desperately Seeking Susan. Let me see. Oh, oh my God. I'm such an idiot. I am scrolling through the Lipstick Jungle IMDb right now. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, she may have started that. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Lindsay Price did. Uh, let's see. She was Madonna's friend in Desperately Seeking Susan. Yes, yes. Okay. Which is a movie I watch all the time. I haven't seen that in a long time. Oh my god, Since it's college. so good. It holds up. <laughs> it's so good. Anne Levine. She was in a lot of movies in the eighties and nineties. True Romance. Yeah, she's been in a lot. Yeah. No, you're right. Wow, good call. You don't see her a lot in this film. That's that's another thing because like she's actually doing a lot of stuff around this time, and maybe it's another like call-in cameo or something. I don't know. Well, I think I I get the 
sense. And I read a little bit about the story of Angus, and I'm sure you did too. You always, you do your research, right? Um, Thank you. <laughs> it feels that a lot got left on the cutting room yes. floor. I just just going to talk about that because I'm like I'm sure I I've done this enough with you now. I, I'll I'll let you talk about Angus's dad because I know you know the story, <laughs> but like it feels like there was more to the April Grandpa relationship, and they just they probably had a two and a half hour movie that they cut down to 90 minutes. Yeah. And we should mention, um, and we'll definitely get into the dad. We should mention that this is based on a short story, uh, by Chris Crutcher. I mean, I wasn't familiar with the short story, but, uh, they definitely, I, I even wrote that down in my notes. This script was probably a two hour and a half movie that they cut an hour out of, um, for better or worse, who knows? But I mean, some of it I would have probably really liked to see, um, and one of those things, as you mentioned, was the thing about the father. Um, apparently, and they shot scenes. It wasn't just like it was just in the script. Apparently, Angus's father was in the script, and he was gay, and so was Kathy Bates. And that was just another thing, Angus. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that Kathy Bates was supposed to be gay in the movie. Yeah. So apparently, in the film, um, this is again for me reading like just material on it that they're both supposed to be gay and they had this kid together decided to raise it together and you know you know hijinks ensue you know um so and to see you always do your research <laughs> thank you again i, I try <laughs> no, uh, no and, and that's it's so interesting because that the fact that they filmed that deleted it and they reshot a couple of the beginning scenes so they took um, the grandfather, George C. Scott, and they had him deliver the dad scenes, like when, specifically those scenes when he's in the chair at the beginning, that was supposed to be the father, and they just had George C. Scott redo those scenes and just like splice them in when they took oh. out that entire uh, gay subplot. And that's why there's like a voiceover in the beginning that's so prominent that you don't really get for the rest of the film, because it's just like, it's like a correction voiceover, apparently. Just think about this movie for a second. Had it been allowed to be released in 1995, like a story about a bullied fat teenager when back then bullying was still seen as healthy, like it's being true. raised by, right? Like being raised by two gay parents. Like that, that's a 2019 movie slam dunk in 1995. Like, come on. We were still don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. I mean, and you leave that in, like you leave that in and maybe you're fixing the problem of differentiating it between the other movies supposedly that year that clouded this genre apparently the two others whatever that's what the critics say but that would have been like whoa i think if that's in the movie people are like still talking about this today or they would have like gotten rid of it at the time too you know <laughs> but like, essentially like i don't know i mean i feel like they tried to get rid of it anyway because we couldn't see it for years yeah it's i just don't understand why angus doesn't have a bigger following than it does well maybe we can change that today let's change it man <laughs> like, it, when did it come out? Because so in my mind, ninety five. But like, what time? Because in my mind, Angus and Powder. Do you remember Powder, the one directed by the rapist? Like, came out about the same time. Oh, yeah, wow. And like, there was a discourse contemporary. Again, I was ten years old, so I don't remember it as well. Uh, about these two movies and why Powder sort of stuck its landing more than Angus. Well, they are the same year. Um, trying to are see. they about the same Angus time? Because release date. Um, so September 15th was Angus and Powder. It came out the next month. It was around the same time. October, you're right. Good memory. 
I, there's, I don't know what it is about, like, my, I, my memory is terrible, but there's <laughs> something about Angus that, like, it just sticks in my mind about this time. Because I was, I think it is because I was so obsessed with Green Day, I, by proxy, became obsessed with Angus. So I read everything I could about it. Wow. Because, because back then, like, I showed my allegiance and love for this band by loving everything tangentially related to it. So I stumped for Angus above powder, and I still remember there was discourse <laughs> around these two. <laughs> That's awesome, though. Like I, I, uh, I could just picture you and your youth just like going a bat for Angus. Right, I did for sure. I did. And I listened to. I saved up my allowance, bought the soundtrack. Like I was all in, man, all in, and, which and, is good. And now on the on the uh, you know. On almost your thirty-fifth birthday, you're reviving <laughs> your Angus love, and hopefully reviving <laughs> Angus as well. Well, and the best part is, is I chose. I did not chose poorly. I didn't stump for the rapist movie, so I'm <laughs> sitting pretty later. All I gotta say. I mean, that's a really good point. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what else the director of Angus has done, but I'm sure it's a lot better than what the director of Powder has done. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope. So, by the way, the director of Angus, I, you click his stuff, his name is Patrick Reed Johnson. And he's okay. mostly like a special effects coordinator, which is very strange uh, for this kind of film, where there is not too much special effects. His director... Like his director... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as I know. His directing, uh, let's see, he's directed seven things, but nothing... I was too familiar with, well, one episode of the Dinosaurs TV series, <gasps> which is awesome. I love that show. <laughs> so I'm down with that. But Wait, uh, dude, he did Spaced Invaders. Did he? Let's see. Yeah, I just went to his wiki. Dude, Spaced Invaders. Oh, he, did. he did. I was going backwards, sorry. So his first film is Space Invaders. That's a film I haven't oh. seen in a long time, too. Oh, he can dine off on that for the rest of his life. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I so you, that movie. And the Baby's Day Out. I think I've seen that. That time. was like 1994 with the kid on the poster, yeah. like sitting on a taxi cab, right? Yeah. And there's an alternative poster up here, him on like a wrecking ball. But I know the taxi cab poster yep. you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Angus. And then When Good Ghouls Go Bad, a TV film. <laughs> is, that an, is it like R.L. Stein? Uh, oh, let's see. That sounds like an R.L. Stein title. I'm also, dude, I am an R.L. Stein subject matter expert when it comes to Fear Street, so. Uh, it doesn't look like an R.L. Stein thing here, but yeah, no, oh, I dude. know. I think no, I, it is. It it's is based it on is? a book by R.L. Stein. Oh, wow, okay. You're better I, at I the know my, look. <laughs> I know my R.L. Stein, that's why. I think I've told you, but um, R.L. Stein like lives like a block from where I work, <gasps> so I, I see him all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you not know how influential he and Green Day have been in my entire life? <laughs> I own every single Fear Street. Like, every single Fear because screw Goosebumps, it's for babies. But Fear Streets, I own every single one. And I have all of their condition cataloged on a Google Drive. Wow. <laughs> I, like, it is my one, like, I call it my collection, and it's gone with me. Oh, my God. I love, you don't understand, I love Earl Stein. Next time I, I run into him, not that I've ever spoken to him, but next time I do, I'll be like, hey, I know someone who really likes your stuff. Nate <laughs> he, loves your stuff. He's got a very <laughs> distinct look. Like, you know, you don't forget his face, so, you know. I love him. No, he does. I, I, so, 
not to go off too much on a tangent, I used to do this YA book report on Pajiba that like basically no one read. And Dustin was finally like, Kate, I understand you read a book <laughs> once once a week for this, but no one's really clicking on it. So are you sure you want to keep doing it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, fine. That's Dustin's nice way of being like, this is costing me money, Kate. So like, but the point is, is that in those comments, there was a lady who used to work with R.L. Stein and work on the Fear Street books. And she'd like come in and like tell us all like the inside scoop on working on the books and like the cover design. Wow. And it was the greatest, it, for me, it paid for itself, but for the actual accounting <laughs> of the site, it did not pay for the site. That's awesome. <laughs> it was, I, it's, though I'm getting flummoxed. Like, <laughs> you don't expect people to read what you write. At least I don't. Not that people. I don't expect people to read Pajiba. I just expect nobody <laughs> to read what I write. <laughs> so it's always just like a trip when you get that sort of like, yes, I read it, and yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it, it was really, it was a trip for me. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, no, I've had a couple moments like that podcasting where it just, it really makes it worth it. Right? If It doesn't like, matter, like, what the audience size is, even if it's small. Like, there's, guys, I love you all. I love you all out there. But when people reach out to me that we, where I'm like, oh, this is awesome, I get really, really excited. So. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm not doing this into the, you know, a dark void. Sometimes exactly. I wish I was. Like, sometimes I'm like, no one needs to read this. <laughs> Most of the times I'm like that. But every once in a while, it's like, oh, my God, you have the same very niche interests I do. Let's talk about it forever. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, Angus, <laughs> what do you want to talk about with Angus? Oh, my God. Okay, so this is – I want to talk about bullying because it's a real, like, thread with this movie. Let's do it. Like, so I forgot I was bullied when I was a kid. Like, I was bullied so much, I, I was Angus, right? I was given the opportunity to go to another school. Wow. And, like, Angus, I took it because there was other stuff at play here. Like, I was just really bored at school and, like, the, the work wasn't challenging. And couple with that, there was girls on the bus who wanted to physically fight me all the time. But it's – I struggle with the bullying aspect. And it's in a, in a way that I really have to watch what I say here because I think that – there is some value to social correction, not bullying. What Rick did was bullying, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's some value to having a group of your peers tell you your behavior or how you act or not necessarily how you dress unless it, but to an extent, how you present yourself doesn't fit within the social norms. I am not pro-bullying, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that that part of that sort of understanding of how to exist in the group um, is a part of growing up. And I think it's one of the more valuable aspects of going to high school. And so I think what this movie does, which is really interesting, is sort of subvert that attitude towards that. And it's not focused on Angus not adhering to the norms. It's putting a parasite like Rick into the social group that doesn't allow the social group to correct itself and to sort of enforce its own norms and behavior that he is such a sadistic little asshole and is such an aberration himself. And Angus isn't the aberration. It's Rick that it, it stops the normal healthy process of social correction and of like establishing the norms of social order from ever actually happening. Oh, I mean, that, that's so interesting. And it, it's so weird that this film's able to do that. Like you said, like bullying is a big part of this film, but it's not, I didn't feel like I was watching like a Disney channel film. I, no. I, I saw a lot of people like make comments like that, oh, this is just an after-school special. But I thought it was way different in a sense that like a lot of the kids who are bullied I see in these films are like straight up 
weak nerd kids, you know? Right? Angus has physical power. He's really smart, too, but he's also on the football team, and you hardly ever see that. But he has this power literally to kick this guy's ass whenever he wants to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the end, he shows some restraint. He, He does hit him, you know? I'm not saying he's just a complete, like, Gandhi here, but... He, he doesn't kill him, you know? And I found it interesting that, like, he has this, like, power almost, and he has to, like, kind of balance it, you know, with these, like, mm-hmm. all this shit that's coming at him and all these, you know, teenage hormones and all this, uh, like, other stuff and just his, like, family life and and everything he's going through. And I was like, whoa, you know? Because, again, like I said, all these films have, not all of them, but, like, a lot of them have these nerd kids who, even if they wanted to stand up to the bully, they really couldn't. They'd get their ass Exactly. Kicked. Exactly. Well, one of the things that I had a problem with in this movie is that there's a scene, it actually made me cry, but there's a scene between George Scott and Kathy Bates when she's like, when he sits down at a table, all the kids jump up and pretend he's so fat, right? But in the actual movie, I don't remember seeing, other than Rick and his buddies, a lot of people giving Angus shit or bullying him. No, and that's kind of, yeah. That, 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 that like, scene was out of place. Right? Like, it made me cry because it's like, there's so much empathy and pathos and they they acted the hell out of it. But it makes me feel that maybe the scenes of Angus being bullied were cut, like, outside of Rick, or maybe that came out of, like, maybe that was Kathy Bates' character's, like, exaggeration. But I just get really hung up on Rick is the asshole. Rick is the aberration. Angus is part of, Angus is cool. Angus is part of the crowd. Like, in my high school, no one would have given Angus any shit whatsoever. And I went to school, I mean, I started, I was in freshman year, which I think they were in 1999 and this just mm-hmm. four years later. So that that's one of the sort of like criticisms I would get of this movie is that if he were being bullied other than by Rick to show it was like all the kids at school being dicks, they didn't necessarily show it that well. But I think it has a more interesting message by making Angus part of the crowd and Rick just a little prick. I mean, that's a really good point. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like school is terribly difficult for Angus. Um, I'm not, you know, saying he's, like, bullshitting or anything like that. But you're right. Like, even when, like, the most embarrassing moments are happening to him, the only one really, really sadistically putting him down is uh, Rick. And I guess, like, you know, his friends are helping and stuff. But, they're you know, they're, like, lackeys. But it doesn't seem like he doesn't fit in, you know? Yeah. And and I have to say, like, the support system at this school seems really, like, pretty good. Like, that that principal really cares about, like, the kids, and, you know, he's not like... Eventually he suspends uh, Rick and stuff, and, I mean, obviously he should have done it sooner, but this is a guy that it seems like he is kind of a resource for Angus to talk to if he wanted to. To that point, I agree, and I think it's actually pretty brave to make Angus a little shit, because all teenagers are little shit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, teenagers <laughs> listening out there. It's hard to be around you. So, like, I, I respect them showing Angus warts and all, and I, I think that high school is miserable for everybody, and what I love about this movie is that Melissa Lefevre, Ariana Richards' character, sort of didn't was given any real lines until the very end. Before we turn out, the pretty popular girl is also fucking miserable. She has an eating disorder. She's probably in an abusive relationship with Rick. She's just with him to make it easier on herself because she gets his protection of being the sadistic asshole that he won't turn against her, you know? So I love what they did to her because it demonstrates, like... This isn't just Angus's private struggle. It's everybody's struggle 
the only thing that makes it Angus's is that it's tailored towards him because of his weight, right? But everybody's going through it. Everyone, everyone. And I think the movie does a really good job with that character of showing that. We also didn't mention, what's the other kid's name? Uh, Trevor Troy? Troy, yeah. Chris Owen, who I know from later from like American Pie and all those other things. Yes! Yes! <laughs> the Shermanator. He, he was the puke kid in um, She's All That, too. Yes, yes. Yep, absolutely. He, we've seen him a lot on this podcast, so it was fun to see him. Like, it's probably his first role. I think it was his first role. By the way, I doubt he was in high school when he shot this, but that's okay. He looked really young. He's obviously not treated well here either. Um, no. It's like I think you put it really well. It's high school, you know. High school sucks. It really does. Well, not for you, right? Because you didn't, you know, even go to school your senior year. Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> I'm just joking. It's, no, it's no, it's like I, would, I really so I don't have a great memory, so I've forgotten all the bad parts, and I'm like, oh, I go back to high school again, it's fine. But teenagers suck. I didn't like my peers at the time. Like, no, nobody <laughs> likes being a teenager. Nobody likes teenagers, and I, I felt that way when I was a teenager. You know, it's such a weird time. Yeah, I mean, it's I, so like, weird. You know, I'm kidding, obviously, but I, I hated myself <laughs> as a teenager. I hate thinking of myself as a teenager. You know. Really? Um, I, yeah, I don't like the person I was, um, but that's, you know, I'm reliving my teenage years through this podcast, so <laughs> I'm correcting you're, you're that. Writing, yeah, <laughs> that's you're writing all the wrongs. Yes, that's completely healthy. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I mean, shit. <laughs> but yeah, and like, and screw Troy's parents. Like, that kid had a freaking broken arm because of Rick, and there were no, like, where, like, were they that checked out? I think it's also a sign of the times, too. I don't think that would fly today, but, like, there was that mindset for, like, most of humanity, like, boys will be boys, you know? And it's just, I remember that growing up, like, kids would, I mean, I think I grew up in kind of a transitional time where parents started to care, but I remember early on, like, in middle school, like, hearing stories of from high school, and people would just get into fights, and it was less of, like, a... Less of an, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but it was just like, oh, you know, the boys settled it outside, so it's all good now, that kind of thing, which again, it sounds so dated today. I don't know what it's like now, but I think that we were too far in one direction, and we may be too far in another now. Like, I think that we need to allow teenagers to be assholes to each other. You've got to let the herd say no fuck you that's not how we treat people you know what i mean mm -hmm. like the, we have to have faith in teenagers even though being a teenager sucks that the group is also allowed to stand up for itself and not have an adult come in preemptively to rule behavior as well like we grew up with it too far on one side mm -hmm. my hope is it's not too far on the other because then what happens is you don't know how to self-regulate and once you get out of school there's nobody there to help you regulate anymore yeah i mean that's a good point as well uh it's who knows? We're not here to tell you guys how to raise your kids. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't take any parenting advice from me. I bring it up because it's such a fascinating time for me, time for me, a time period for me to think about because like it is your first entrance into the adult world and there's, you've got those horrible hormones raging and it's your first time really having to deal with adult things and how do you react and what is the obligation us as adults now have to you? Are we obligated to just let you figure it out on your own? Which I don't think is right, but is how, you know, we were kind of raised versus how involved should we be? And I don't, 
there's not a right answer. And I don't think anybody's really figured it out yet, which is why raising teenagers is hard. But it's, it's fascinating to me because there is probably a, you know, a middle ground that is ideal. But how do you get there? And when do you intervene and when do you don't? And it's, it's the struggle that Angus is, you know, mom and grandpa had because grandpa was very much screw them, figure it out. Versus mom was the one who wanted to insert herself a little bit more and you could see her really trying hard to and then not being able to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think we concluded too that probably some of that is left on the cutting room floor in terms of their dynamic because we just get that. We have like things here or there, but we get that real one scene um, that does seem out of place. And uh, I don't know, I would like to see more of that play out because we have two really really good actors here yeah (laughs) yeah it was so well acted i wonder i really wonder if um they just decided to skew this more to be a quote-unquote like kids film or or something like that i mean they they say like fuck in it and stuff so i'm not sure like it was supposed to be a little kids film or something they said the pg-13 fuck like the one fuck you got back then (laughs) fair um, but I think sometimes it straddles, like, is this supposed to be a movie f- for young people? Is it supposed to be a movie for everyone? Um, I don't know. I would have loved to see an extended version of this. Maybe we'll get one one day. Who knows? Right? Like, I, I think that it, my gut tells me that the director pro- probably had to, like, skirt that line between the movie he wanted mm-hmm. to do and the movie he shot versus the movie the studio made him have at the end. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, again, it's 1995, so not not that I agree <laughs> with it, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that happened. No, yeah, it's bless him. I'm I'm curious to see what a director's cut of Angus would be like, and it's we probably will never see that movie because Angus, even to this day, does, like I don't feel like it has a lot of a cult following around it. You never know, though. Like some of these alternative studios get the rights to these films when other big studios give them up and then decide to do it. It could happen. I- I'm an optimist. Like, yeah. Sh- come on, shout factory. Yeah. <laughs> give us Angus. Give us Angus the director's cut, you cowards. Yeah. That's a challenge. <laughs> um, so there, were there any um, scenes that stuck out to you? Oh, I so I hadn't seen this movie for at least 20 years. And so I went into it basically fresh again, but except for Grandpa's death scene. I don't know why, but that's always stuck in my mind since I saw this when I was 12 years old last, you know? Yeah. Um, so since this is my first time, I don't know. I should have been expecting this to happen, but I didn't. <gasps> oh, no. You didn't see it coming? No, I don't know why. It got me. It's so It's like I cried. So the tunes I cried was when George Scott and Kathy Bates were talking about how she was a chunky kid and how it affected her. It was just a throwaway line, but I teared up. And then when grandpa dies, oh, and, and I kept crying when Angus goes to the old man chess game and puts the damn king down. Yeah, whoa, poetic. <laughs> I was like, poor Angus. Yeah, that scene really was, I was like, whoa. Like, I did not see this coming, even though I should have. I don't know. I thought we were going to see the grandpa to the end. Um, I, but, but there, yeah. It was really so, sad. Because, again, they're setting it up with, it, like, he falls asleep or he pretends to fall asleep. Yeah. And uh, Angus will play, like, the recording of, like, the, uh, um, you know, the bugle call. Yeah. And he always wakes up, and then, you know, I expected that to happen again. And then I'm like, whoa, he's not waking up. And the look on Kathy Bates' face, again, acting. Like, what a good actor. <laughs> like, when he comes down and Angus doesn't have to say anything, and she already knows. Ugh. 
but yet she doesn't go to him i just ultimately like landed on she's in that's her dad like she was in her own grief that moment and she didn't know how to bridge that gap to her son yeah no and if we read it like the movie we saw that like her husband or angus's father presumably died and and uh yeah his grandfather again presumably just raised him almost like a father i guess like then there's a different reading to that than the gay parent one for better or worse you know yeah it's uh and George C. Scott, I didn't know who he was when I first saw this movie as a 10-year-old. So I was just like, yeah, he's grandpa, <laughs> right? But like you see, like he was so good in that role. Seems like a guy who no matter what role he took, took it seriously. Right? I don't know. So I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, you got these like words of advice like, screw them, do you, whatever. And they just felt like they weren't, at least when I was a kid, I felt like they didn't understand me. I felt like, okay, you can say screw him, but you don't know what's going on, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and now that I'm like an adult, I'm like, no, you should screw up. Like, <laughs> it, that's advice that only works once you have the life experience to know that that's the way forward, right? Yeah, and with the way he played it, it sounded real. Like, he really meant screw him. Not like, you, you see it, like, in real life and in movies where people say, oh, just forget about it. And it's really, they're just like pushing the subject off because they don't really care or know the answer or something or they're distracted exactly. with their own things no but it was so sincere with him and yeah i mean what an awesome performance he, he was he was great and it's just i don't think that screw him is the answer although i kind of do <laughs> but like as a person but it it's not not an answer either because really he, he was just so caught up in what other people felt about him that angus didn't really know how he felt about himself and i think that that was towards the end of the movie he gives his speech and then it's like oh i, I do kind of like myself this is what i'm good at like i don't need to be anything other than i'm not and it's fine and i think that he was just trying to fight who he was the entire time yeah no i mean i, I agree i just like poor angus like i just because this kid like, it's not like he's growing up in los angeles or new york or even a big city it felt like it was a pretty small town where you know everybody you went to school with from the ages of zero until graduation so there's it's not like you have a lot of opportunity for an expansion of ideas there no and i mean obviously that's why he wants to go to the the magnet school or whatever i mean let's just quickly segue into that right so like he's, he's trying to do this um they, he needs to do a science project to get in uh the principal who's pretty supportive is like we don't want to lose our left tackle or something but you know you should really do this or something i don't know and the, the whole experiment is i don't know if it was too on the news for you or understanding like essentially it's a parable about him or james vanderbeek depending on how you read it um with like the one chemical going into the other chemical and whether they should mix or not and eventually um you know he has his interview with that cross-eyed person right like yeah yeah who was in like every 90s movie yeah. back then the i was like i've seen yeah. this guy so many times so many times no if i could see your science experiment mr bethune do you have a science experiment mr bethune yes yes i do may i see it you're looking at it. Is this a joke, Mr. Bethune? No. I'm hoping to prove that within every normal system, there exists an aberration, something different. The chaos theory. The Bethune theory. 
Your hypothesis? When a small abnormal element is forced into a larger normal system, the element will either be rejected or destroyed. Obviously. But it doesn't have to be that way. If... If... If the element is brave. Brave. If the element can hold out long enough and face the torment of the system until the system's energy is depleted, if the element can look the system in the eye and say, I'm still here, asshole, then the system will have to change, adapt, mutate. And if this happens, it'll approve my fucking point. Which is what? There is no normal. I guess where are you going? mutate um i guess uh you know before we get into the dance and all that what what did you think of that whole subplot with um the school and i guess that whole experiment he's talking about so it's interesting and i I brought this up a little bit earlier is that i was in this situation right like i was being really bullied at school um i didn't fit in and i had this opportunity to go to another school and i took it because more than being bullied, I just wasn't with my people. And I was really just bored at my school, which was the right call because the kids I went to school with did not uh, <laughs> end up very happy as adults. So I ended up going to this magnet school that you had to like do a special project to get into, go through the interview, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it was the best decision I have ever made in my life. Like I'm still friends with the knuckleheads I went to school with uh, to this day. But great. Yeah, it's like they're flying in for my birthday this week. Like, it's going to be great. But I think the difference there is that Angus wanted to run away from um, that school. Like, in every other regard, it seemed like he liked his friends. It seemed like people were well-regarded. People had regard for him. You know, he just wanted a little bit more acclaim and love, but what teenager doesn't? And so rather than try to find a new challenge and try to find his people, he, he had his people and he just didn't want to face up to the fact that there was one asshole who just refused to accept him. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it was on the nose, whatever, but teenagers aren't necessarily known for their subtext. <laughs> so, like, again, I say that with love if any teenagers are listening. No, um, no, I know. <laughs> I, I love my teenage listeners in the most podcast way that's, that's possible. We, we feel for you. We do. And it's a hard it's, time. That's all we're saying. It's a very hard time. It is, and it only gets better. So any asshole who tells you high school's the best of your life is selling you something you don't need. So, <laughs> trust us. But it's, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. I felt like the school plot was sort of forgotten for most of, like, the middle half of the movie. Yeah. That's and why it's picked to, back up. No, yeah, exactly. That's what to me, like, it didn't... Um, I liked what it was saying, I did, but it didn't really have, like, the weight of, like, that maybe it should have. Like, because... Again, the back of the VHS makes it seem like he's got this difficult choice, whether to go to school, you know, go to this school or go to that school, and it's, you know, he's going back and forth on it. But I, I don't think that's what the movie was really about. Um, Mm -mm. So it just was something that I don't want to call a distraction because again, I like what it was saying and stuff like that. But it was something where I don't know, maybe, maybe I would have liked a little bit more conflict. Uh, when it came to that. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they focused on the right thing here. And again, the main line here is that uh, James Vanderbeek, jackass kid, is... Um, uh. You can tell he's a real high-level sadistic 
dude because like he yeah. he rigs the vote for this um you know freshman dance so that Angus will be the you know I don't know not prom king but winter the winter king. formal king yes winter the winter formal king yes the winter formal <laughs> king the theme for this year's freshman winter ball is courage I'm gonna need courage to face new challenges new people our future let's make it a memory none of us will ever forget. And now, I'm pleased to announce that this year's freshman winter ball queen will be Melissa LaFever. President Jody Cole will announce who this year's Winter Ball King will be. Okay. Um, okay. And this year's Winter Ball King is. Not Rick. Not Rick. a joke. I knew that. And a hell of a good one, too. But like my grandfather says, laugh with them and they can't laugh at you. But I'm not going. Why not? Why not? Why not? What do you mean, why not? I mean, why not? Come on, you get to dance with Melissa LaFever. I'd sell body parts for a chance like that. Troy, Melissa LaFever's probably somewhere puking her guts out right now. And you know he's, like, fucked up because he's, like, he doesn't know quite yet how he's going to use this to destroy Angus's life. He just knows he needs to put him in that position just to give him the forum to destroy Angus's life. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a twofer as a way to control his girlfriend, too. Like, yeah. he's just an abusive piece of shit. I mean, and that's probably something that I think a lot of people who are watching this film aren't looking at so much. You know, now that you pointed out, you're absolutely right. This guy is trying to control his girlfriend, and he is, like, he's oh, yeah. definitely, like, an abusive asshole. Like, whoa, like, oof. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, so this movie has a trope that 99 times out of 100 I hate, but they use it so effectively that I think it makes a really great point which is basically the girl, the, the one girl in the movie, the love interest, not ha just being sort of a cipher for the main guy mm -hmm. and just being a passive character. Like Melissa Lefevre is like that for 95% of the movie until the last 20 minutes when it turns out like, oh, Angus is kind of an asshole too because he never really realized that Melissa Lefevre is a human being who has her own struggles. So I love how that character is the cipher for both Rick and both Angus. And it turns out that she has this whole internal world 
that's been going on until the end of the movie that's acknowledged because the internal world of the a female character in this role typically is never acknowledged. And I love that they turn it on its head and make her frankly kind of a tragic person. Um, the Angus has this oh shit moment like, oh, I've just sort of worshipped you from afar. I never really treated you like a human being. This is sort of a new concept for me that a beautiful blonde girl could also have the same <laughs> issues I'm going through. I was an idiot. I'm sorry. What a jerk. I'm really sorry. Not you, him. Do you ever get tired of who you are? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you want to know something about me? I'd like to know anything about you. I'm bulimic. Do you know what that is? I'm a fat kid. Yeah, I know what that is. It's when you eat too much and you chuck it up so you don't turn out to look like me. Close enough. Actually, I even tried it once. When I stuck my finger down my throat, I was still hungry and I almost ate my arm. You're the only person I've ever told. Angus, I think we have to go back inside. I think I have to tell you, I can't dance. We'll survive. I didn't say I can't dance well, I said I can't dance. My limbs are lethal weapons. Good people have been badly hurt trying to dance with me. Yeah, and that's that's great. I I really love that part. Um, you know, just to set it up, as as we're going through his, you know, after his grandfather dies, he's still not sure whether he's going to go to this dance. He ends up going to the dance in his plum tuxedo, and again, he has taken dance lessons with Rita Moreno, so he's not terrible, (laughs) but he still doesn't feel like he's that good. Um, and they have to do this dance, and one of the things in this film that uh. James Vanderbeek asshole kid is implying, and I don't think is ever contradicted, is that like she, Melissa Lefevre, is mortified to dance with Angus or be seen dancing with Angus. Like that's at least the impression Angus has. And you know, I don't know. Maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. But this is probably just crap from the boyfriend or whatever. No, but I know. But I think she was mortified to be seen dancing with Angus, and it had nothing to do with Angus. She was mortified to be dancing. Period. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. And that makes a lot of sense then. And they end up while they're about to have a dance. Um, the Ugh. James Vanderbeek asshole teenage kid plays the video from uh, earlier of Angus and and uh, I don't know uh, Troy. With that, uh, I guess is I guess it's a sex doll. Which is weird because his 
Troy's dentist father had it in his waiting room. Like, yeah. Troy, ha- Troy has a very interesting <laughs> life that I would have liked to explore more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't too sure. It, for some reason, they videotaped uh, the dancing <laughs> and their conversation. And I mean, I don't think you can objectify a person more than what they're doing. I know they're teenage boys, but they literally have like a mannequin and all that. Yeah. And, And they're both embarrassed by this, obviously. You know, and they have this really, really nice scene, this really nice moment outside. And I say nice, like, not in romantic. It's nice because I loved seeing it. Because she's upset, and selfish Angus is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just thinking it's kind of all about him. And yeah, you know, he he was a dick. But And again, the moment where she just tells him, you know, she has uh, bulimia. and, And it's what you said. Like, it's like, oh my god, this person who I think is perfect is also suffering just like me. And who's been suffering, and it's not an unearned moment. Like, if they had her have any sort of dialogue for most of this movie, you it might not align with what that expectation was. But because she's such a cipher, that is like, it, it really is just like an oh shit moment. Yeah, so, you know, you make a good point, too, about like that being a trope that we see so often. But here, I think it was as effective as you could have used it and when yeah. they when they end up like she you know they go back into the dance and she's like dance with me whatever and he's like you know he he's surprised but they have a good time but i love how it didn't imply after that like she's his girlfriend now or anything like he walks her home and i think the voiceover says like you know maybe this will continue maybe it won't kind of thing and it it still like kept it like somewhat uh i don't know just grounded and yeah too many times in these high school films, I see things and I'm like, oh, and now you're going to live happily forever as a freshman in high school? Sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dude, you didn't even want that. <laughs> yeah, like, no. <laughs> I, just, I just had a very intense, like, visceral reaction to that idea. <laughs> oh, my God, like, no. The, the both of you have your life to live, you know. But it didn't, you know, I, I liked that it didn't imply any of that like he walked her home and it was just like a nice sweet thing and he's like kind of a little happier about life yeah i like how he's like i got a win now i'm gonna go find another win like i, I liked how it grounded it in that this is not a life achieving a moment it's just a win life is a series of wins sometimes right so go out there and do your grandpa proud <laughs> yeah i mean it's it just it's just nice not to have happily ever after all the time and not that this was like a sad ending or like a no but it's hopeful i like hopeful better than happily ever after because hope means that there's that there's wiggle room like happily ever after like that's a period at the end of the sentence this this movie end with an ellipses a good ellipses for angus yeah yeah and you know it was really it was really nice um Angus. (laughs) were there any other scenes um in the film that we didn't talk about that uh you want to talk about yeah i mean it's, I mean, it's a re- pretty short film, so. Yeah, it's a really like concise movie. They do they do enough of Angus's bull- Rick's bullying of Angus that like, like it's not fun to revisit that, right? <laughs> like, I I will say that I really liked the Superman isn't brave speech that his grandpa gives him. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a nice speech. Because it it does imply like if you've got the strength, it's not brave of you. It it's. You have to find the strength and every day get up when you're knocked down and just go at it again. I really like the grandpa's philosophy. I really do. Like, it's just you get up and you try again and just be yourself. Don't be a dick. Like, that's kind of how I live my life. Like, 
And it's, it's hard to really internalize that screw them attitude. But once you do, once you're just like, eh, I'm going to do me, like life gets so much easier. Yeah. I mean, and it's, again, it's not, doesn't feel fake coming from this George no. C. Scott grandpa. It really feels like, whether you agree with his philosophy or not, it feels like genuine from, like, it doesn't feel, yes, it is preachy, but it feels like it comes from a place that he knows. Yeah. Like, that he's experienced and he got to that point. I liked, well, he sort of backs it up. Like, that that speech when he's like, you're not fat, you're just big, you just come from big people. For our people, you're normal size. Mm. Like, there's, that, that, I don't know. I, struggling with, like, your weight is something that I grew up with people who, like, were on FenFen type of thing, like, in the 90s. Like, that horrible speed drug that helps you lose weight but also gave you a heart attack so I've seen the struggle with weight firsthand and I think that it is such a personal um struggle and we talk about fat shaming to this day but also it's still like the last sort of socially acceptable thing for people to really just give you a hard time on because it's seen as a personal moral failing so it's always really interesting to me to watch that play out in a way that shows it from the other perspective um, but the person who's getting bullied, but also is just really honest about it, too. I mean, even today, like, there are obviously more movies that address it, but it's always interesting to see how it is addressed. And again, this is 95, so it was... Yeah, the 90s always seem like they were, like, 10 years ago for me, even though this movie's, like, 12, 25 years. Crazy. It's just it, so crazy. Right? Like, I did, <laughs> it feels like yesterday, but I, like... I get it. And it's still, it's still a narrative that in 2019, we haven't wrapped our heads around how to really talk about it and how to treat people with respect. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I noticed you blanched when I used the word fat, like Angus is fat, like, <laughs> like a little bit in our conversation earlier. And it's just one of those things where I've sort of read about it and I could be wrong here, but I was, I read that you just use the language, how people describe themselves, you know, and it's, it's an interesting thing to sort of dive into because Angus is like, I'm fat. Mm -hmm. But then it's also used as like something against him. So how do we as sort of outsiders in this discourse engage with it in a way that's respectful and honors people's humanities, but at the same time doesn't sugarcoat what this is? When I say what this is, the prejudice that people feel towards it, not the situation people are in. We're getting, uh, you know, we're getting deep today. This has become... Right? I seriously spent like the past 24 hours thinking about this movie and realizing like... Because this is what I saw when I was a re- like really young, but not too young that I wouldn't remember it. Just young enough that I was like an adolescent. I was becoming a teenager type of thing. So it's like I realized how much I sort of like absorbed it then and like and how much it's coming out now. <laughs> I love seeing like, um, you know, things you've seen when you were younger. You don't watch them for 20 years and just like not just seeing if they hold up, but like finally, finally being able to like interpret them with your... I don't know, just life experiences. Like, you know, I'm sure when you first saw this, yeah, you were going through a lot of things, maybe similar to Angus, maybe not. But I don't know, when you're in high school or when you're younger, you feel like maybe some things are just going to be corrected or you don't know. Yeah, you don't know what the future is going to hold as an adult. But there is kind of an expectation that I don't know. I, I I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like it's... Then when I come back and look at these things now, like live, have lived through high school, have lived, you know, my life as an adult, and then I'm able to be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is something that has been bothering people for forever. Yeah, I, I totally get it. And the thing that I guess it's like 
the problems remain the same, but the social context amongst that these problems operate under that people talk about and how we talk about it, that's what changes. Mm, yeah. Like, I, I don't foresee – kids are always going to be sadistic assholes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, we just are. You're always going to get teased for something. You're always going to have that one thing that people zero in on. And because it's such a personal thing to you, it makes it so you don't necessarily see everybody else has that same thing. Like Angus was so hung up on like wanting to fit in and not like wanting to be fat that, you know, he was working out yada, yada, yada. That he never even like really stopped to think about how Troy got his arm broken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Troy had that same thing, only Troy wasn't fat. Troy was just a weird ginger kid. And, like, ginger kids get teased, right? Weird kids get teased. Troy had a threefer because it seems like he was super into his mom and his dad was a weird dentist. And yet there's no parental intervention there on this kid's behalf. So, like, what's going on at his house type of thing? Yeah, I mean, that might truly be one of the last um, things that's, like, okay to make fun of, like, redheaded kids, you know? Right? And it's, it's like, but we... We are pack animals. Humans are pack animals. And for whatever reason, our eyes are trained to make fun and zero in on the things that make other people different. That's crazy. That's just what we are. And Angus talks about that. Angus wants to fit in, but then he's like, screw the pack. The pack has to fit in around me. And that's that's really how it should be as long as you're not a Rick who's a dick, you know? Oh, man. Rick might be one of the least redeemable characters as a human being I've ever seen. But And by... And, he is so human, though. Like, yeah. I, I understood Rick more than I understand your typical bully because Rick is just a piece of shit. Rick is, I just imagine Rick's dad is, like, owning the one Ford dealership in town that employs, <laughs> like, most people's dads. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he has he has the patina of a kid who's a big fish in a small pond that has daddy's upper middle class money to inure him against any sort of blowback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there was going to be a backstory, that makes a lot of sense. Right? Like, I can't believe I thought about this movie so in-depth like this. I love it. I love it. I wasn't expecting this in-depth of a conversation, and I'm digging it. Right? No. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy how people get behind these dick bags because Kevin Connolly, you know, it's really interesting. I don't know this character's name because the actor who played him didn't turn out to be famous, but Rick's little cronies were Kevin Connolly and a younger black teenager Mm -hmm. so i i was just talking about the craft on pajiba and it's really interesting to me specifically how the black teenagers in these teen movies typically like rachel true in the craft this character in angus how you will usually have like one black bully to follow like the main white ringleader and i think it's always really interesting and i bring this up because i really think for these characters it's a survival mechanism because angus's school was really white like it was somewhere in the midwest everyone was really white so you have this one like nice looking kid like on the on the football team who just goes along with this bully and if we're talking specifically about angus a movie where people's differences get picked on why did this kid specifically go along if not to avoid the attention on himself as well yeah i mean i hope they thought about it as much as that because that makes a lot of sense and you do see that a lot i think specifically with angus they definitely did just because every single character except for kevin Connolly, and maybe in the director's cut he had it like they all (laughs) they had their own sort of cross to bear and i think that's like an underlying message of angus is everybody has their cross to bear so let's just try to get along in this life that we have to share together it's just really interesting to me specifically that casting choice because what's going on there a couple other things i wanted to bring up so in preparation i read an interview from charlie talbert let me see i always like to obviously credit the 
source. It was by Erin Donnelly from Refinery29. Refinery oh, okay. Written in 2015. Um, and just some notes I took from it is that, like, him and Chris Owen became friends and would, like, hang out as adults and people would still pick them out in a crowd <laughs> from Angus, which I think is awesome. That's crazy, because I looked at Charlie Talbert, and he's nothing like Angus now. Yeah, so I, you mentioned that, and then I thought about this, and I'm like, huh, I wonder why. But maybe it's because you see Chris Owen, and then you go, oh, could that be Angus, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and the other thing that I really took from the article is that he was really upset about the, the uh, gay things written out of it. But in this article, it says that there was originally two gay fathers and Kathy Bates. I don't know how that all works. Who knows? We That's why we need this extended edition. Can you just imagine that poor kid in like the mid nineties in like a small town in the Midwest growing up like that? It makes his whole, I don't want to be different anger make a lot more sense than just, you know, it's my body. It's, can you just imagine the abuse that poor kid got? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's such a shame that that was taken out of the film because uh, it, it, it just makes so much sense. And whew, I mean, it, I really it wish make, we saw it. It does make a lot more sense of why people wouldn't defend Angus from Rick more because, like, one thing where you're different that you can't hide, like, eh, like, but two things like that, it just makes you more of a target to stand up for somebody else because of that. Yeah. God, that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, just, I just I can't get over it. I I hate bullies. Like I've always hated bullies. Even in high school, I fucking hate bullies. Like, <laughs> and I in high school I was always taller. I always I never really gave a shit. And I, and part of the reason why is because I had two older brothers. One was prom king. One was valedictorian. Wow. So I, right. So I went into high school with a pre legacy that I used not to be a little shit. Although some people might say it was a little shit. It was basically. <laughs> Like, I didn't give a fuck. If I thought you were being a dick, you got called out on it. I mean, that's sounds like my kind of person, but I could see how some people would not be a fan of that. Right? It's the people that I decided to direct my ire toward because the thing, the thing if you're going to be a dick, you better be a funny dick. Because if you're funny, nobody's ever like, hey, now. And that's kind of what Angus's grandpa says. If, if you laugh with him, they can't, you can't be a joke. Oh, absolutely. Right? And I do. I've always believed that. So... Ugh, just like you see a sadistic prick like Rick not picking on like not going big game hunting among his social circle, but to do it on somebody who clearly has less standing. Like, ugh, little sh- I, I would have ripped Rick a new one when I was in high school. Let's just put it this way. I really wonder if this movie did blow up, whether it would have affected James Vanderbeek in uh, Dawson's Creek in terms of just like because you know you play roles like this and then people don't forget how you were when you uh, did that yeah just look at billy zapka what's he done since the karate? <laughs> uh, good callback and it's true <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah, i mean just, yeah just one of the guys and that was it <laughs> so if there's nothing else that you want to talk about with angus i'm well i'm sure we could talk all day and all night. Forever. Angus, but, <laughs> but uh, I think we've, you know, really, really took the deepest dive into Angus that anyone has taken in the last 25 <laughs> years. And, I, and I'm not ashamed of it. I love it. I, think I love Angus. I really hope that this starts some kind of revival. I know I don't have that power, but I can pretend to do today. <laughs> so, justice I, for Angus. Yes, justice for Angus. <laughs> so as I mentioned um, early on, like, 
and I just looked it up again. Rotten Tomatoes has 40% by the critics, but there's really only like 10 accredited critical reviews here, so maybe that's not fair. But a lot of uh, audience reviews, um, like 7,000 of them, and they gave it 68%, so that's technically technically not you know rotten or anything like that. But here we grade now on an A to F scale. Okay, A to F. Okay. Yes, I, well, A plus to F, I suppose. But um, Okay. I, I changed it because it's more school related and it's easier. <laughs> so what 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 okay. will you give Angus Kate Hudson? I'm gonna say B plus to A minus. And I think that's fair. So I mean, I give it a solid B. And again, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, and I think it's one of these films that, if you're into this genre, you should see. And it's gonna surprise you. It's gonna surprise you in terms of if you think it's just like this trope. Um, some people actually criticize the tone of this film as I read through these reviews saying like is it a comedy is it a drama I mean I, I didn't really feel that way I felt like it balanced it enough uh, what did you think it's a coming of age it's a coming of age movie that's it like I, I why did anybody who gets hung up on the genres <laughs> that's yeah. all I got they just, they just get an exasperated tired sigh well I agree with you um we also have a feature I don't think we had it last time but we have a new feature here on a high school slumber party where it's called Rent Two Movies, Get One Free. Okay. And put yourself at a your video rental store, whether it be Blockbuster or some local chain, and, you know, you have just rented Angus, or you're about to rent Angus, and it says, rent one movie, get two free. You and I are having this slumber party. What two okay. other movies are we bringing to the slumber party together? Well, first off, what year is it? Uh, well, I, I don't know. It... it that's hard to say. You can pick. You don't have to pick movies from this year. You could pick movies that came out yesterday. It's it's today, but you don't li- you know don't think about it too much. But we're literally having it on today, whatever day okay. today is. <laughs> well, because you don't know if it's like contemporary, right? Like, okay, that's completely up to you. If you want to keep it in that time, you can. Okay. Well, so if we're doing Angus, then we also have to do Empire Records because it has an equally amazing soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. And then we're gonna we're gonna finish it off with Gross Point Blank because literally every slumber party in the '90s I had from <laughs> 1997 onwards always had Gross Point Blank involved. And again, John Cusack, stop blocking us on Twitter. I love him. That, <laughs> by the way, Angus and Gross Point Blank are the two best soundtracks. Wow. Ever. You know, if you're into a certain type of music, I can't disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, John Cusack, unblock us. Stop being weird. <laughs> <laughs> that that continues though. Again, John Cusack, I love you. <laughs> Um, oh, one thing I was going to mention, you mentioned it to me yesterday, and, and I saw, you know, I was reading your Twitter very, 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 you know, excitedly because of <laughs> your, your passion for the Twilight series. Yes! I love them so much, so much. I, I have, look, only seen parts here and there. Like, it's on TV, I'm going to, like, it's on and I'm catching it. Once I started doing the podcast, I figured I'd save it for the podcast. But question I have for you. Okay. How many of those films are, like, high school films? Uh, well, three. Three, and okay. And then the last, two, the last two take place immediately after graduating high school. Okay, so that still kind of counts. So... Yeah. It's, it's a... I mean... I know you offered your services, and I'm going to accept them, but I, I a think... A special five-part series on Twilight? I think you're going to need to come back and, and when we have to tackle these Twilight films one by one. Oh, yeah, no, are you kidding me? I, I will happily guide everybody through. So I, I unapologetically love Twilight, like, love it. So <laughs> I, my goal in coming here as a subject matter expert is to, one, change everyone's mind 
about Twilight because I'm sure people are like rolling their eyes right now. So <laughs> you're, you're, I will force you to change and to explain why they are just amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Come in with an open mind and an open heart. <laughs> See, it's not fun. Um, you know, just frankly, it's not very fun when you get a guest and they just hate the movie. You know, oh, I, yeah. I prefer when people like the movie. It's obvious, but it, it, sometimes you don't always get it. Sometimes there's movies that just everyone hates and it's fun to rag on the movie and that's okay. But I, I want to see passion in this Twilight thing. So I'm very excited to be able to have you on for these because, again, I know, I know almost nothing about them except like the main characters and something like that, you know. Uh, they, they are just like the perfect, like, gonzo filmmaking <laughs> like, experience. It really is. Like, you can track how much the actors stop caring in the progression <laughs> of the saga. And, like, there's something about, because I read the books, too. There's something that's just hypnotic about reading the books. Like, they lull you into reading 800 pages of navel-gazing. It's, it's, <laughs> I honestly, like, I just to set this tone, I unironically love it. But I just love everything about it, warts and all, because, like, it just comes together to create a beautiful symphony of just, trash yet entertainment i really can't wait i don't know how we'll do that um uh, not all one episode obviously i want to divide the movies up but we'll have have five episodes brian each movie deserves its own hour plus trust me okay there's no way i'm going to do this with you unless you promise me that every movie gets its own episode (laughs) your promise will be fulfilled we will it it we will accomplish it. Twilight. That'll be a big 2020 thing for us. Yeah, because, listen, everybody, you can't just tack a, like, Twilight and New Moon together. One is an Edward story. One is a Jacob story. <laughs> like, come on. It builds on the mythology. Oh, my God. I love Twilight. I love Twilight. So good. We're going to rock in the new decade, the 20s, with Twilight. So Yeah. Get, get, get your sparkle vamps ready, guys. I'm about to take... We're going to take you on a journey. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Well, thank you so much, Kate. And why don't you remind our audience where they can follow you and find your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter, where I probably every couple of months uh, talk about Twilight a lot. I rewatch those. <laughs> and that's at Hudson Kate, because I was lucky enough to uh, be an early adopter of Twitter. Sometimes they think I'm the other one. Um, <laughs> and then I write regularly over at Pajiba. So come come embrace Twilight content, which I have some up this week about. Yeah, I didn't feel the need this time to distinguish you from the other Kate Hudsons. So Good, good. <laughs> you know what's crazy, though? Uh, never mind. I'll tell you later. Okay. Save it for the Twilight episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Kate. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Always so fun having Kate Hudson on. And I really, honestly, you're not going to believe me, but can't wait to talk about Twilight with her. I've been getting excited <laughs> for this one. I don't know. I haven't really seen it. I'm, I'm eager to dive into this world. But I hope you enjoyed this episode on Angus. I hope if you've seen Angus that it rekindled a little bit of your love for Angus. And if you haven't seen it and you listen to this episode, hopefully you check it out because it's actually, you know, this was a pleasant surprise. And again... What a soundtrack. Oh, and happy belated birthday to Kate Hudson, because she mentioned it was her birthday in the episode, and rudely, I didn't say happy birthday, so consider this, Kate, my happy belated birthday to you. (laughs) So next week, we have a 
big film, a huge film, a very important film, I believe, in the high school slumber party pantheon of films. And it's a film by a kind of an indie filmmaker. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He created this thing called Star Wars. His name is George Lucas, and the film is American Graffiti. American Graffiti! Where were you in 62? Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown, and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti! Baby, what's that? It's a movie! Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time! Where were you in 62? Is that you in that beautiful car? Jeez, what a waste of machinery. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. What, what did you say? Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me. And I bet you're smart enough to get us some brew. A ballpoint pen. Kind of old Harper. Okay, you got an ID for the liquor? No, I left it in the car. You'll have to get it before. Oh, well, I I also, I forgot the car. We're finally getting out of this turkey town. You just can't stay 17 forever. You ever get tired of going steady with somebody that ain't around? I'm up for grab. Well, that'll be the day. If I had a boyfriend, he'd pound you. Go to hell. Get your boogaloos out, baby. The Wolfman is everywhere. You know Toby Juarez? We killed him last night. Excuse me, I think we've had an accident. Well, I won't report you this time, but next time, just watch it, will you? It's one of those great old movies about romance, racing, and rock and roll. Oh, American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Where were you in 62? Wolfman Jack. Oh, where were you in 62? Oh, that's going to be a fun one. And we have the resident teacher, I guess, the substitute teacher, the assistant teacher. You know him as the historian on Cage Club Podcast Network. Where was he in 62? I'm curious. <laughs> and that's Mike Manzi. He'll be here. And another person will be here who's been here before as well, Chris Podcast. So I can't wait to have the both of them. I'm just letting you know this is a big film. This is an important film. Watch it. And it's going to be a two-parter. So we're going to have next week, and we're going to have the week after. Little little Thanksgiving two-parter. You know, seconds for the Thanksgiving table. As Thanksgiving is coming up. Not next week. It's a late one this year. But the week after. 
And if you're not in the United States and don't know what Thanksgiving is, just look it up. Anyway, a couple other notes that I wanted to mention. I haven't listened to it yet, but one of my favorite shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network, Wistful Thinking. We've had Kara on, we've had Jordan on, both recently. Their show's great. You definitely want to check it out, because this month they're doing high school films, and they're doing one of our favorites, one that we've covered already, Can't Hardly Wait. And I can't hardly wait to listen to their take on it. And you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening today, and of course, on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So how about I leave you with something off, of course, the Angus soundtrack, because we can't get that out of our heads. And I decided to choose one that I wasn't too familiar with, but apparently is a popular one. I thought it was cool. Jack Names the Planets by Ash. Thanks so much, as always, for stopping by. See you next week, guys. Same high school slumber party time. Same high school slumber party channel. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.